You're listening to Podcast by Committee, produced by Starting Five Productions. And now, here's Andrew and Max Brill. Thank you, Mason, as always, for the introduction. Welcome back to Podcast by Committee. I'm one of your hosts, Andrew Brill. And I'm Max Brill. And Max, it's that day, that one day of the year that every baseball fan looks forward to as we record this. It is baseball opening day, and there will be a lot of baseball on the docket, a lot of afternoon games. So people leaving work, people not going to work, kids not going to school, and I've heard that debate too, but it's opening day for baseball. and We will go through our annual look at Major League Baseball and try and figure out who might end up where. Of course, you just never know these days where things might end up. You look at the Final Four, and who would have thought that it would have ended up that way? And we'll get into that as well. The Final Four with zero number ones making it through to the final weekend of the NCAA tournament. And there's a quarterback, Max, that isn't happy. He has a home. He's getting paid this season a lot of money, but feels disrespected. So he's looking for a trade, and we'll get into the saga that is Lamar Jackson as well. But let's start, Max, with opening day, Major League Baseball. You are in Chicago with your Cubs. I am here in New York, and I will be watching the Mets from afar because they open on the road. But let's get into it. And, uh, you know, wherever you want to start, we can go through the American League, the National League, and try and figure out who's going to get to that last game in November and win the World Series. Well, maybe this is just my my New York bias talking, but I think we should start with the AL East and particularly the New York Yankees because the Yankees are dealing with a slew of starting pitching injuries, but it seems like nobody cares about that because today is Volpening Day. And that is Anthony Volpe starting at shortstop for the New York Yankees. And and Volpe is a player that I have seen in the minor leagues. Industry consensus is that he is going to be the next big thing. A lot of people in fan graphs write about this. On ESPN, The Athletic had an article about Volpe yesterday. This is a kid who the Yankees have essentially anointed as the next great Yankee. He's wearing number 11 and... In true Yankee fashion, he called Brett Gardner, and the Yankees love their tradition. He called Brett Gardner, and he said, hey, can I wear number 11? I want to make sure this is okay with you. Brett Gardner gave him his full blessing, and Volpe, my guess, will be batting ninth today. We'll know where he hit because this is coming out on Friday. We're recording this early on Thursday morning, but I think he's going to hit ninth today because Jeter hit ninth in his debut, and you know the Yankees love their symbolism, but it's awesome to see a 21-year-old kid who is local from New Jersey, getting the opening day start for the Yankees. When entering spring training, many people thought that this was Oswald Peraza's job to lose. So I think that's incredibly exciting for Yankees fans. I'm wishing Volpe and his family all the best today, and and I'll be rooting for him. I think this is a great story. Without a doubt. I think that you know when you look at it, the Yankees have to be one of the teams to beat. They have... Yeah, I guess a better than 12% chance of winning the World Series. Of course, when you start and you're missing two of your pitchers, it becomes an issue. But there, there is a lot to talk about and a lot to be happy for with the Yankees and Anthony Volpe getting the, the nod, only 21 years old, and getting the nod to play shortstop. And he's a New Jersey kid. His, his family's from New Jersey. He grew up there, and he's a local kid to the New York, the New York area. And it's going to be exciting to watch him all season long. So, you know, the Yankees, I think when you, when you talk about 
the AL East. I think you you have to certainly talk about the Yankees, and I think that that's you know it's the Yankees in Toronto, and I believe it might be everyone else because I think when you you know look at it, uh, Toronto's a, a very young team. And I think Toronto is certainly a team that's going to be reckoned with. They're going to win over 90 games, most likely, and the Yankees are as well. So I think that in that respect, that's a a two-team race in the American League East. You can never count out the Rays because they always somehow get there, even though they're not the splash of any league. But the Rays are certainly going to be there in the end. But then you have the Red Sox, who seems like they lost more than they picked up. They're not projected to win much but they are you know they they are the Red Sox but I I don't think that they're going to make any noise this year you know losing Xander Bogarts was a big deal for them and I think that that's gonna that's gonna be a big problem for them so I, I I look for you know Baltimore to play well and continue to progress in the right direction but I think that the Yankees are going to take this division I think the Toronto Blue Jays will give them a run for their money and it'll be a little bit closer than the seven-game spread that it was last year. And I think Tampa Bay has a good shot at making a wild card this year again. But never count out Baltimore. They, they came out of nowhere last year, and I don't think they're going to surprise anyone this year. And, you know, the Red Sox are certainly going to probably bring up the bottom of this division. Well, you, you said, I don't think the Orioles are going to surprise anyone this year. And, and I think that's because people kind of know what to expect now in Baltimore. This is a really solid team with a lot of young players. Adley Rutschman leading the charge. I think you can already make the case. And a lot of people have made this case that Rutschman is the best catcher in baseball, even better than JT Realmuto. The Fangraphs projections have Adley as the number one catcher this season over Realmuto. And he's just 25 years old, so he hasn't even fully hit his stride yet. With him at the helm, their young pitching coming up, it is a very exciting time to be a Baltimore Orioles fan. And of course, you know that I'm going to recap this division with a 538 breakdown. The Yankees have a 42% chance to win this division according to 538. And coming up second, like you said, is the Blue Jays with a 28% chance. They give the Rays an 18% shot, which is a 1 in 5 chance. It's not out of the realm of possibility that they end up on top of this division. Now, obviously, the Yankees projected with 92 wins here, Rays at 86, so it obviously would take a little bit of good fortune, probably playing above the back of the baseball card. But either way, they are definitely in the mix. Red Sox and Orioles bringing up the rear at 9 and 3% respectively. So I think, like you said, this is the Yankees division to lose, but it should be competitive baseball all year round. And there's never a shortage of storylines in the AL East. When you head over to the American League Central, I think that this is the Central Division in both leagues is probably the weakest. And when you're looking at, you know, Cleveland, who won it last year, I think that they'll be there again this year. The White Sox, Minnesota, Detroit and Kansas City. Kansas City's in a rebuild. Detroit, I'm not sure what they're doing there. You know, and Minnesota, same deal. So I think that. You know, they're probably going to be Minnesota around the 500 mark. The Chicago White Sox, who were at the 500 marks. I think that this is the AL Central, certainly the Guardians division to lose at this point. But, you know, with 92 wins last year, I would expect them to be right around that mark in the coming season. But 
Who knows? The central divisions in both leagues are very, very strange. It's interesting that you said you think this is the Guardians division to lose. The the numbers certainly suggest that. They have the Guardians at a 43% chance to win this division on 538, Twins second with 34%. So it, the Guardians are certainly out front. It's not a runaway by any means, but a lot of people are sleeping on the White Sox. And the White Sox are a team that entering last season was favored to win the AL Central, and they underwhelmed, they disappointed. Part of that was due to injury. They were missing Eloy Jimenez. For a portion of the season this year, closer Liam Hendricks is going to be missing a chunk of the season. He was diagnosed with lymphoma earlier in the offseason, but the good news is that he hasn't been placed on the injured list. Rick Hahn, who is in charge of the baseball operation over there, has said that he has responded well to treatment Hendricks and that he has a possibility to be ready before that 60-day injured list minimum. So Hendricks being back really bolsters their bullpen. And it's just another year of experience for these young guys. Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Juan Moncada will be playing third base once again. Tim Anderson, who showed out in the World Baseball Classic, will be back at shortstop. It's a really solid club, and you add in the pitching here, Dylan Cease, Lucas Giolito, among others. I think this is a solid team. They're projected to be at 500, both by Fangraphs and 538. But there are a lot of indicators here that show that this team could easily outperform that. And I would say of the team's In the AL Central, the White Sox probably have the widest range of outcomes. I think that this is a team that could certainly win 92 games, but just as easily, I could see them winning 74 games. So I think they are kind of the wild card team to watch in this division. And, you know, like you said, the the Guardians always find a way to be in it. They were really young last year. I think they had the youngest roster in baseball and still managed to win a ton of baseball games come out on top of this division. Twins should be interesting as well, re-signing Carlos Correa after that free agency saga that swept everyone during uh, free agency, signed with the Giants, signed with the Mets, and then finally landed with the Twins. And I think this is going to be a good division in terms of competition. Like It's going to be close. I don't think any team is going to necessarily run away with it, but the Guardians are definitely the favorites. Hey, and the White Sox, being a young young team, went out and signed veteran Elvis Andrews to help them you know, bring some of these younger guys along and they'd sign him, I guess, right at the beginning of spring training to try and help mature some of these younger guys. So I guess the, the, the White Sox could be a factor. And if they play well, they could certainly give the Guardians a run for their money. You know, the Guardians didn't do a ton either in free agency. So they're coming back with a, a very similar team than they had last year. They didn't have any major losses either, but they've made a few trades, but nothing, nothing that you're going to say, wow, you know, that was a big splash. So you probably, like you said, Cleveland and the White Sox will be the top of this. And then Minnesota, Detroit and Kansas City, Kansas City, obviously with a lot of work to do, nearly lost a hundred games. They may probably be around the same as they were last year. And then we head out to the West, Max, where, you know, Seattle, finally made the playoffs again last year. But I, I again, I think that when you look at Houston, you have to wonder, you know, are, are they just going to continue to roll? And the Angels should be right there in with a, with a healthy Mike Trout. And you have Otani, you see what he can do. You know, the guy is just a freak. And I think Oakland's probably going to flirt again with 100 losses. And the Texas Rangers, who 
nobody really knows what the Texas Rangers are. They don't really, they haven't done much, but I, I think it's those three teams, Houston on top, Seattle, which if they play well, can be right there for a wild card spot. You know, they, they were 16 games back last year and the angels will be a much better team this year than they were last year when they lost 89 games because Mike Trout will, will be healthy for most of the season. You would assume he lost, missed a, a bunch of time last year and we'll see if the angels can write the ship and, and do much better than they did last season. This is an example of a division where I think the, the winner is going to be, kind of a runaway. The Astros here are, are 57% favorite to win this division, according to 538. Fangraphs has them projected at 89 wins and has the Mariners, who are next up, at just 83 wins. And the Mariners, according to 538, only a 17% shot to win this division, but a coin flip chance, 44%, to make the playoffs. And I think the Mariners are basically where the Orioles will be in one one year because the Mariners have a ton of their young talent already up, and they're ready to compete for the stretch run. The Mariners are led by Julio Rodriguez, who won the AL Rookie of the Year award last season, thanks to one of the better rookie seasons that I can ever remember. He even was in the MVP conversation. I don't think anybody was going to give it to him over Judge or Otani, but last season, 853 OPS, 28 home runs and 25 steals as a rookie, and he was playing center field virtually every day for this club. So he's going to be a key component. They just signed him to a long-term extension this past offseason, and they also have a bunch of really solid hitters around him. Ty France is going to be back for another year. They acquired Teoscar Hernandez to help them bring some power to their corner outfield positions, and then you're hoping that Jared Kalanick is going to step up here. He hasn't really shown his full potential since they've acquired him. He was a, a former top 10 pick initially by the Mets, then traded over to the Mariners in the Edwin Diaz trade. And their starting rotation should be really good. Luis Castillo acquired in a trade. Logan Gilbert is a really solid prospect of theirs. They signed Robbie Ray to a free agent contract two seasons ago. And then Marco Gonzalez and George Kirby. And George Kirby, I think, is going to take a huge step forward this year. And a lot of people are picking him as kind of a sleeper Cy Young candidate. The Mariners have said they're going to bring him along slowly to begin with. But he was really, really good last season. As a rookie, he was called up early in the season, and he made 25 starts, 130 innings pitched, 3.39 ERA, and a 9.21 strikeouts per nine innings. A really solid job for George Kirby. The sky's kind of the limit for this kid. He has really good control, and he's able to use multiple pitches in the zone. It's a really solid pitcher. I think the Mariners are going to make some noise here. It's unfortunate for them that they're in a division with the Astros because the Astros are just so good every season, but the Mariners will definitely be one of the favorites to nab a wild card in the AL, in my opinion. Let's not forget Seattle went and traded for Colton Wong, so they got themselves a second baseman. Not a big splash, but certainly a solid infielder that can play every single day. So I think uh, Seattle will be a team to reckon with, probably will nab that wild card spot, but geez, Houston just, you know, if you, if you had a, a sure bet in the American League West, it's it's Houston. I think that you're absolutely right. I think Houston's going to, you know, win this one. I don't think that look all has to go right. And they're Houston's missing Jose Altuve, one of their leaders, for a period of time with a broken thumb that he sustained by getting hit by a pitch in the World Baseball Classic. So they'll be missing Jose Altuve for a period of time, and that's not not an insignificant loss for the Houston Astros. So we'll see if they can get out of the gate quick. 
or if Seattle can hang around and make some noise while Jose Altuve is trying to rehab from his broken thumb. So I think the Seattle Mariners will be better this year. And I think that the Houston Astros will be the Houston Astros, which is a pretty darn good team. And they have a, you know, a pretty good shot, almost as good as the Yankees to win the World Series at 10%, just over 10%. Yeah, dad. And and also I want to mention the Angels. I know you mentioned the Angels. It's impossible not to mention the Angels here with Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, both on the roster. The question is, will the pitching be able to figure it out? And where will the rest of the offense come from? Aside from Otani, they have Patrick Sandoval, who showed out in the World Baseball Classic, and then Tyler Anderson, they acquired in free agency, Reed Detmers and Jose Suarez, homegrown guys, who both project to be very solid this season. But on offense, after Trout and Otani, you have Rendon. It's a question whether he'll bounce back or not. They added Hunter Renfro in a trade. He's always been a solid outfielder for his career, so they're hoping he can bring some power from the right side. The rest of the offense is kind of a question mark, and I'm looking forward to watching this team because I'm hoping, as always, that we get to see Mike Trout and Shohei Otani in the playoffs. It's just better for baseball, I think, when the best guys are playing in the tournament in October. And so I think that getting those guys to the postseason should be a priority for the Angels. Obviously, they're trying to get there. And for the fans as well, I think they should want to see that. And Otani is going to be a free agent after this season. So this could be his last year with the Angels. Yeah, that you've heard a lot about that. And the Angels have a, you know, they're in, in the top third of teams that could win the pennant in the American League. So the Angels have a shot, but obviously they need to to play well. And they need to more than play to the back of their baseball cards. They need to bounce back. They need to, having Mike Trout, not only as a player, but as a leader will help. And I think that that'll be, you know, a big boost to this Angels club. One quick thing about Mike Trout, I don't know if you heard, but he's opening a golf course. Trout National in New Jersey, his hometown, he is opening a golf course, and I'm looking forward to trying to play there at some point in my life because I would imagine that with Tiger Woods as your course designer, it is going to be a hot ticket. Well, hopefully the holes are not as long as some of the home runs that he hits <laughs> because those will be a very big challenge. But it'll, it, it's nice to see that you know he's teaming up with Tiger Woods. Nice to see that Tiger Woods, who is certainly on the backside of his playing career, is starting a new career as a as a designer of golf courses. We see a lot of players do that. Jack Nicholas has done it. Other players have done it. And you know, there's no better way to design a golf course than you know players who know what the challenges are of the game. So it'll be a lot of fun to try and play that course, and hopefully you'll get to see Mike Trout out there. Although you because of the baseball season, you won't get to see him there probably from, you know, February to November or Well, I heard, I I actually saw someone on Twitter say the golf course is going to be closed after September, which was just so mean to say because Trout's never in the playoffs. But if the Angels continue to not win, maybe you'll see him in October. Who knows? Right. Absolutely. (laughs) That, that would be fun. To, to see him out at the golf course. But let's move over to the National League, Max, and we'll start with the National League East because that's where we kind of hang out, although you hang out in the National League Central a bunch. But I think that when you look at this division, there are three teams, really, that are, are at the top, and the Phillies made a very big splash, probably getting the best all-around free agent 
in this class and Trey Turner signing him to a, a more than $300 million contract. And I think that that will certainly help the Phillies a ton, although they'll be missing Bryce Harper in the outfield. I don't know if he can DH because of uh, a diagnosed with a, a torn UCL or partially torn UCL, but he certainly can't throw with that arm, which is a, a big loss for the Phillies in the, in the outfield. But adding Trey Turner in this division was huge, I think, because he is a phenomenal player. I would have loved to see him on the Mets, but he's a Philadelphia Philly. When you add his bat to Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper, JT Romuto, and now you have Trey Turner, it's just, it's it's on and on. There's there's not a lot of rest. And don't forget Nick Castellanos. And, right, and Nick Castellanos. There's not a lot of rest in that lineup for the Phillies. But I think that the Braves are a phenomenal team. They're a young team. They're a phenomenal team. And the, the Mets made a splash with some free agent signings this, this offseason. You know, obviously they've signed Justin Verlander. Uh, they missed out on, not missed out, but they decided not to sign Carlos Correa, and we'll see how that turns out. But I think that if the Mets pitching holds up, I think that they'll be right there with the Braves. I still think that the Braves could very well take this division. I'd have to see the Phillies, who didn't play all that well in the regular season last year but went to the World Series. I got to see them over 162 do it uh, to, to be confident that they can do it. But with their team, they should be able to do it. The one question mark is a little bit of the pitching, and they I don't think their pitching is anywhere near as good as the Mets or the Braves. Well, this division is the closest on paper. The Mets have a 35% chance to win the division. The Braves have a 40% chance to win the division, and the Phillies are not too far behind with a 20% chance to win the division. So it's, it's essentially a three-team race. You have the Marlins, of course, at 4%, and then the Nationals. It just says LOL when you look next to their name at the playoff percentage. But After winning, losing 100 games last year, they could be right there again this year. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's the expectation for them on all these websites. But yeah, it, it's been uh, it's been a fun offseason to track in this division. You you mentioned the Trey Turner signing, an unfortunate injury to Reese Hoskins. He's going to be out for the season now after tearing his ACL in a spring training game, and he's actually going to end up being a free agent after this season. So he's potentially done as a Philly. I don't know if they'll attempt to re-sign him, but he is not going to play this season after tearing his ACL a couple weeks ago in spring training. You also mentioned Bryce Harper. He should be back at some point in the middle of the season. I don't think they're going to put him on the 60-day IL because they're hoping that since he's just a superhuman human being, he'll be able to come back from surgery sooner than anticipated. And uh, if he can DH, I think they're going to use him in the lineup as a DH while he continues to rehab his throwing arm. Uh, The Mets, you mentioned, made a handful of moves. I think perhaps most notably signing Justin Verlander to a big contract. They added Kodai Senga as rotation reinforcements. And they they signed some relievers. David Robertson, Brooks Raley, re-signed Adam Adovino. Tommy Hunter, they also re-signed. This is a, a team that looks similar to last year, but it looks more similar to the final iteration of the team than it does to the team that was on opening day for the Mets last year. And the big question mark here is when are we going to see these young guys who the Mets have touted and who the industry believes will be highly productive major league players, Mark Vientos, Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez, all of those guys are 
industry consensus top 100 mlb.com baseball america all of these websites and publications really think these guys will be impact major league players but none of them are starting the season in the major leagues and the mets went out and signed omar narvaez at catcher and now francisco alvarez it's kind of a question mark where he's going to play because nito is a really solid backup and there's not really space for alvarez in the same way there's not really space for Beatty or vientos right now because your infield's full. Alonzo's entrenched at first. Escobar's entrenched at third. And in the outfield, you have Starling Marte and Marcana at the corners. Plus, you just added Tommy Pham in the offseason. So I don't know that there's anyone right now except for the Mets who know how these young guys are going to be deployed. But I think that's the main storyline to watch this season, that and the health of their starting rotation because Scherzer and Verlander both are over 35 years old. Scherzer's 38. Verlander's 40. And Carlos Carrasco, not too far behind them. He's 36. So this is going to be an interesting season for the Mets. And of course, we have to mention the Braves. Braves winning this division last year with a an impressive come from behind September. They're projected to have the most wins in baseball this year at 92. And their rotation is just really good. Max Fried, Spencer Strider, who was in the conversation not only for the rookie of the year last year, but potentially the Cy Young. They've called up Jared Schuster to join their rotation. He's a young lefty prospect of theirs. And then Charlie Morton bringing up the rear. The number five spot, there's some question marks right now. It looks like Kyle Wright is going to start the season on the injured list. So I think they're going to bring up Dylan Dodd. At least that's what the beat reporters have reported that they're going to do. Another lefty prospect of theirs. And then their starting lineup is just ridiculous top to bottom. Acuna, Matt Olson, Austin Riley, Marcelo Zuna, Michael Harris, Ozzie Albies, Sean Murphy, Eddie Rosario. Orlando Arcia. I mean, it's it's basically an all-star team. So I think this is the team to beat in the NL East. I would pick the Braves here, but this is going to be a super fun division to watch. A lot of very close competitive baseball, I think, in the NL East this year. This could very well be a tight race. And you talk about those rookies for the Mets. Of course, Escobar had a good beginning of the season, got hurt, and then struggled a little bit. I think if you see that, that, that could be a trade chip and you bring up Brett Beatty to try and get some pop out of that bat and see how he does there at third base because I think that he is the future possibly at third base or if the Mets don't think so they could use him as some trade bait and I think that if, if the Mets catchers struggle you can probably see Alvarez in the major leagues and one of those guys could be cut or traded or who knows what, but uh, the Mets have not had a ton of luck trading catchers. You look at Travis Darno, who they traded away, and he ends up with Atlanta after you know a little bit of a road trip and playing very, very well, and it's somebody they gave up on. So the Mets haven't been so great at developing their own catchers and you know seeing that seeing it through to the end. But hopefully that'll be different with Alvarez and his career. But I think that. The National League East will be a tight race, and I think that, look, it all, all depends on the pitching and on Atlanta and the Mets, and with the Phillies, they, they need to get a little bit healthier. I had forgotten about Reese Hoskins and that him being out for the season, so that, that's a big blow. That's a lot of power in that bat, and that's a, you know, that's another, you know, that makes the lineup even longer, but that's a, that's a big blow to the Phillies, him, Bryce Harper. So if the Phillies can stick around for the first half and hopefully get Bryce Harper back, they can make some noise. If not, it, it's a, it could be a two team or two and a half team race. If the Phillies can stick around, we head over to the national league central max, and this is like the American league central. It's kind of like, 
a little bit of, okay, you know what? The winner of this division is probably going to win 87 to 89 games. Not knocking your socks off, but at the end of the day, you get there. So I think that, you know, St. Louis, who seems to always be there, is going to be there again. I think the Cubs will be much better. I think they've got some young players, and they're going to be much better, probably a little around the 500 mark, maybe slightly better. Cincinnati and Pittsburgh are going to flirt with that 100 loss mark again. I think that Cincinnati for sure will do that. Pittsburgh may win, you know, a little over 62 games, 70 games maybe, but they're not going to be a great, great club. And the Milwaukee Brewers, Max, who should be better than they were last year, they're a big question mark to me. Well, you know that saying, it's so much worse than you think. You said the winner of this division is going to win 88 games, 89 games, and it's actually so much worse than you think. 538 has the Brewers projected at 87 wins, the Cardinals at 86. Fangraphs is even more pessimistic on both of those teams. They have the Brewers at 84 wins and the Cardinals at 85 wins. So nobody, none of these projection systems are projecting the winner of this division to run away with the division. And I want to start with the Cardinals because I think you have another really awesome storyline here in Jordan Walker. 20-year-old who was drafted in the first round in 2020 who has made the opening day roster. And there's a video of him in Ali Marmol's office getting the news that he's going to the opening day roster. And it's it's an awesome video because you always love to see these young kids. I mentioned Anthony Volpe earlier in the show. That was you a great to video see, too. Yeah, well, you love to see these young kids getting called up and having their dreams fulfilled. But if you look at Jordan Walker's legs in that video... First of all, he's 6'6". I think he's listed at 6'5", but he said he's grown, which I don't deny because he is 20 years old. Like, I believe that 100%. His legs are the size of tree trunks. Like, his thigh might be the size of my entire torso. The dude is massive, and he's going to start for the Cardinals on opening day in left field. And it's pretty impressive because all he's done in his minor league career is absolutely tear the cover off the ball. In AA last year, he had an 898 OPS with 19 home runs in 119 games. And he also walked 11% of the time. So he's a patient hitter on top of being a guy who can just destroy the baseball when he makes contact. I'm really looking forward to seeing him in the major leagues. I think that when the young guys get involved, like I said, it's just better for the game of baseball. When Otani's in the playoffs, it's better for the game of baseball. When Trout's in the playoffs, it's better for the game of baseball. When teams get to get a look at their young guys, I think the fans are more engaged. It's really hard to spin that as a negative for the fans and for the game in general. So this is going to be a fun opening day for Cardinals fans. Of course, the usual suspects will be there as well. Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill back for another year. Tommy Edmond likely to start at shortstop. And they added division rival Wilson Contreras, who was a career-long Cub and then got to St. Louis and had some choice words for the Cubs organization. Uh, He essentially said he's very happy to be a Cardinal, and I think that that is going to foster some, I don't don't want to say bad blood, but it'll be interesting to see the storylines when these two teams face off historic rivals, the Cardinals and Cubs, and now one of the Cubs' best players from their World Series era has gone to their rival just one state over. So it should be interesting to see how that storyline plays out. Of course, the starting rotation once again, will feature Adam Wainwright when he is able to get healthy. And then you have Miles Michaelis back for another year, Jack Flaherty back for another year, 
Jordan Montgomery back for another year, Steven Matz back for another year. So it's a lot of the same guys. St. Louis fans should be familiar with the majority of this roster. I think that they are going to certainly be in the contention for this division. 538 has them projected in second place. Fangraphs has them projected in first place by a game ahead of the Brewers, who also were active this offseason, not so much on the free agent market, but they made a handful of trades and they added in a bunch of places. They got Jesse Winker. Garrett Mitchell is a prospect of theirs who got some time at the end of the year last year. He will be in the lineup on opening day, most likely. Bryce Terang is a prospect of theirs. He's probably going to start the year in the major leagues. And you have Christian Yelich, Willie Adamas, both back for another season, and they picked up William, William Contreras to catch for them. So add those guys onto their rotation, and this should be a really solid team as well. Yeah, it's interesting because when you look at this division, the Brewers have three really, really good pitchers at the top. Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta. The St. Louis Cardinals don't. But when you look at the bats, you figure, okay, you know what? If our arms can keep us in games, when you're talking about the Cardinals, our bats should certainly make up for that. The Brewers don't have that. I mean, Christian Yelich just seems to, who who won the, he almost won the, the MVP just three, four years ago. Where has he been? And then you have Willie Adamas, who's okay, Jesse Winker, and, you know, William Contreras, but they're not going to knock your socks off when it comes to the hitting part of that. They're going to yeah, pitch and well. That, I, think, I think Christian Yelich actually did win the MVP in 2018, and then he was second in 2019. But right. like you said, he's just fallen off a cliff since then. Right. So you, you're wondering where where has Christian Yelich been? Maybe there was just too much pressure for him to, to carry a team, but he should be much better than he, he has been recently. But when you talk about the pitching, I, I think the Brewers have the better pitching than the St. Louis Cardinals. And then you, you talk about the Cubs, who, like I think I said earlier, were going to be 500, maybe a little better. They're going to be better than they were last year. And they have a, a young team and they're going to continue to get better. But I think that w- when you took talk about a division and you, you ran the numbers, I think ESPN has the, the uh, St. Louis Cardinals winning around 87 games, the Brewers 83 games. When you talk about that, well, that that plays right into the Cardinals' hands. They may not start out great because some of their pitching isn't great, but they're always there in the end, and it drives you nuts. They haven't had a losing season in, I don't know, 16, 17 years. I think 2007 was the last time they actually had a losing season. So they just they just roll. And they, they hang around and hang around, and they sneak up on you at the end. So I think that in this division, I think that it's going to be the St. Louis Cardinals that take it. So we, we head over to our, our last division, Max, and that's the West. And here's where you scratch your head, because I think that this division could very well be as competitive as the National League East. You have the Dodgers, who lost Trey Turner. So you, you wonder, hmm, how much is that going to affect them? And you have the Padres, who should bounce back this year, and the San Francisco Giants, who started out really, really well last year and then died. So I think that when you look at it, this could be, you know, there's a couple teams here that you think, well, you know, they could be in the World Series conversation or at least try and get there. But 
I think that you you have to look at the Padres here and say, you know what, this could be the year that they overtake the Dodgers. It certainly could be the year, Dad, but 538 doesn't think it will be. The Padres, 34% chance to win the division, according to 538, and the Dodgers, a 52% chance to win the division, which runs counter to pretty much every other projection system that I've seen. Fangraphs, for example, has the Padres at 90 wins and the Dodgers at 87 wins. And Vegas, I believe the Padres are favored to win this division. So this is going to be a very, very close race. We can start with the Dodgers, who have Mookie Betts at the top of their lineup, their leader on offense. And he's going to get some time at second base this year after the injury to Gavin Lux, who was expected to play the middle infield for them this year. Lux is out for the season. And the Dodgers have already said that they're going to use Mookie Betts at second base, which I think is kind of crazy that this guy who he was a second baseman coming up in the minor leagues, obviously, but just such a good athlete, like a great hitter, a great outfielder, and he can play second base. Really, what can't the guy do, I think, is a better question. Of course, Freddie Freeman will be back. Will Smith, another one of the best catchers in baseball, another young kid. Uh, He will be back for another year. They added J.D. Martinez in free agency, and they're also letting the kids play to a degree. Miguel Vargas, who made his debut last year, 23 years old. James Outman, who's 26 years old, made his debut last year. Both of those guys, or sorry, Outman's 25, but both of those guys will be on the opening day roster, and they will join a star-studded rotation in Julio Urias, Clayton Kershaw, Dustin May, and then they added Noah Syndergaard in free agency, and Ryan Pepio is expected to have their fifth rotation spot while Walker Buehler and Tony Gonsolin get healthy. So this is going to be a really fun team to watch. If you're a Dodgers fan, there's really never a dull moment in Chavez Ravine. But the Padres made some noise last year at the trade deadline and then made some more noise in free agency. And now with a combination of Bogart, Soto, Machado, and you look at their rotation, you Darvish, Blake Snell, a handful of other guys who are going to be in the conversation. This team is, is pound for pound, I think, just as good as the Dodgers. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, you also get Fernando Tatis Jr. back. And I think that they'll be very good. Jake Cronenworth, don't forget, not a huge name, but a very, very good player. And I think the Dodgers, when you look at them, yes, they did lose Trey Turner. But when you look at it, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, Max Muncie. Wow. (laughs) You know, but then you you go and you look at the, the Padres lineup and you're like, hmm. These guys can play just as well. Blake Snell, Joe Musgrove, Hugh Darvish, like you said. And I think that they don't match the Dodgers pound for pound, if you will, but they match up pretty well. And I think that you have uh, their closer, Josh Hader, who you're hoping can bounce back from a bad season last year, which should be possible. So I think that this could be a two-team race. Obviously, ESPN has this a, a one-game difference. They have the Dodgers winning 89, the Padres winning 88. Max, and I don't know where those numbers come from because I, I think the Dodgers can win over 90 games. I think the Padres are also capable of winning over 90 games, but that's where ESPN has them projected, and you gave the projections from, from others, and we'll see. I think that this this could be the Padres' year if they can stay healthy. And they can just continue to hang around. Don't forget, and the Giants, I don't think, are going to stack up. Though they did add Michael Conforto, who's a, a, a Met favorite. But they also have, uh, you know, bats. That, you know, Mike Yastrzemski, Brandon Crawford, Mitch Hanniger, Jock Peterson, Wilmer Flores. 
but th- those guys are a little bit older. So I think that the Giants are going to have a little bit of a problem and are going to slip back a little bit this year, even though they could play well if their veterans play well. But I just don't think that they match up with the Dodgers and Padres. Then you look at the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. And when you look at a lot of projections and you you look at where teams stack up and then there's the worst teams in the league, there's the Rockies and then there's everyone else. So the Rockies are projected to be really bad this year. They are, and I don't even want to dwell on the Rockies for too long. The Diamondbacks have a handful of interesting players, including University of Michigan graduate Tommy Henry, who will be starting the season in AAA, but always love watching his starts. Just a great guy. Love watching him get on the mound for the D-backs. They have a bunch of really dynamic young players as well. Brandon Fat will be on the opening day roster. Corbin Carroll, they just inked to a massive extension. So this is going to be a fun team. This might not be their year, but they're going to make some noise in the NL West in years to come. And dad, before we move to the final four, I want to know who your World Series pick and is if you have a dark horse that you'd like to point out or a team to watch in 2023. Oof, my World Series pick. I hadn't, hadn't really thought far ahead to the World Series, but you know, until I'm going to say the in the American League, because I know the Yankees are a, a big pick for everybody, but until they can... Until they can prove to me that they can get over that hump and and do it, I, I'm not going to pick the Yankees. I, I just think that the Houston Astros can get there. And, you know, I, I think that this could be the Padres' year to get to the World Series. So I'm just going to go out on a limb and say the Astros and the Padres. I, I'd love to pick the Mets. I think the Edwin Diaz blow was a little bit bigger. I know they picked up David Robertson, and I think that he can certainly be the closer. But when you think about Edwin Diaz and the season he had last year and that, that the way he bounced back and was so dominant and had, you know, better than a strikeout per per inning. Nearly two strikeouts per inning. I'm sorry. He, 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 you know, his strikeouts per innings was up. His dominance was incredible. You don't you, you look at the Yankees from the 90s. You look at Mariano Rivera and how important. He was. The game was over when he came in the game. I'm not comparing Edwin Diaz to Mariano Rivera, but that's how important the closer's role has become. And when you don't have that that lockdown guy, and David Robertson is certainly serviceable, and he'll get a, a bunch of saves this year because I think that it'll be a little bit by committee, but I think that in the in the short term it'll be his job. I, I just don't I don't see the Mets getting over that hump. But I do see the Padres playing very, very well. And I think that, you know, until the Astros prove me wrong, I'm going to have to pick them. Well, I'm going to go with the Dodgers, actually. I'm going to pick the Padres division rival. I think that this is the year that Dodgers fans have been waiting for. And every year they're so excellent in the regular season, they just can't get it done in the postseason. Their only World Series in this run of dominance was in the COVID year in 2020. And I think this year they will be able to win a championship in a full 162-game season. And my dark horse candidate is the Baltimore Orioles. I, I still think they're a year or two away from where their their peak will be. But, man, this is just such an exciting team. A ton of young kids. Adley, like I said, Grayson Rodriguez will be up at some point. Gunnar Henderson is going to start at third base. It, it's a really cool roster and just a great storyline to watch. It's unfortunate that they play in the AL East because – Every team in that division is good, and it seems like every team in that division is good every single season, so they have a lot to contend with there, but the Orioles are my team to watch in 2023. Yeah, I think the Orioles will be a lot of fun. 
I just think that they may be a year away, but they're, they're one of those teams to, you know, if you're a, wherever you are in the country, if you, if the Baltimore Orioles come to town, you want to see an exciting team that plays hard. They are the team to watch. Max, there's a lot of teams playing hard on the hardwood college teams. And this year, if you have a bracket where your final four is intact, God bless you. If you have a final four where one of your teams might be intact, I think you've done okay. But there are so many people that their team has been out of it for a little bit and they only watch because they have a bracket and they want to see where they go. And, you know, I'm one of those people and I, I can't get any more points in this tournament. But when you, when, if, if someone were to say to you, you know what, you're going to have a, a four, two fives and a nine left in the final four, you would have probably said, okay, you know, why don't you go take a nap and sleep off whatever you're taking? Because <laughs> <laughs> this has been an absolutely bizarre tournament. And it just goes to show you that, Nobody can get this right. I, I think out of you know, millions of brackets, maybe there's 13. And I have no idea. No, there's, how actually, there's actually 37. There's 37. 37? Okay. Yeah, 37 correct final fours. So I, I, don't, I don't know. Those people are just freaks because if you picked SDSU and Florida Atlantic, they have to be Florida Atlantic fans. Like, yes, there's 37 Florida Atlantic fans out there. And if you thought, yeah, my team at number nine is going to, you know, get to the final four. And you, you're just out at the bar way too often because this is just ridiculous. Well, you here's know, the crazy I, thing, Dad. Here's the crazy thing. Sorry to interrupt you, but I, I, two friends of mine who live in Los Angeles who are roommates made their brackets together at the same time. And one of them picked FAU to go to the finals and the other picked San Diego State to the final four. So I don't know what is going on in that house, but they need to send me whatever it is before next year because that is just insane. It has been exciting and depressing all at the same time because you root for your, you know, you root for your teams in your bracket. They're not normally the teams you're going to root for. Although I do root for UConn because I do like Danny Hurley and I do, I have followed that team very closely at, when I worked in Hartford on TV, but you know, I, I'm glad UConn got there. I think they, they probably got there a year earlier than they had expected, but they got a 43% chance, according to 538, of winning the whole thing. Can you imagine? UConn, nobody would have expected UConn to win the whole thing when this whole thing started. But they're going to play Miami, who somehow got past Houston. And Houston was, you know, uh, uh, Houston was a pick by a lot of teams to win this whole thing. They did not play well in the Elite Eight, and so they don't get to the Final Four. Miami, obviously getting hot, playing at the right time. They they got past a tough Indiana team, and then they get past Houston. Their first, their first game over Drake, okay, you'd say, eh, okay, they should have beaten Drake. But after that, you know, you, you take on Indiana, you take on Houston, and here you are, and then you take on Texas, and here you are in the Final Four. So I think when it comes to Miami, they, they beat, you know, formidable formidable foes. I think when you look at SDSU, they beat who they should have beaten. And they got lucky in round two. They should have won their first round matchup against Charleston. They got extremely lucky that Furman somehow beat Virginia, who always falters. But, you know, and then they went and beat a number one seed in Alabama. 
and then they beat the six seed Creighton. So I think well Creighton, who was a, a very good team, and they get to the final four. Florida Atlantic is just the freak of this tournament. They got lucky in the second round too because Fairleigh Dickinson picked off a Purdue team that was a number one. So they got to play a 16 in the second round, but then they had to go and beat a very difficult Tennessee team, which they had no problem with. And then Kansas State, they beat to get here. So I think that out of the four teams, the one that you could think, okay, you know, there's a possibility was UConn at number four. And UConn, obviously, they started against Iona. They played St. Mary's, who was a five. And then they played Arkansas, which was an eight. Arkansas knocked off a number one. So UConn, you'd say to yourself, well, they had the easiest road here, but they're going to be tested against Miami. You know, out of all these teams, I think SDSU has the best defense. I expect them to get past Florida Atlantic and make the final. But Max, this has been so strange. I don't know. I basically lit my bracket on fire last week. I had still Houston alive, and then they were not alive anymore. Miami picked them off. They beat Texas. Uh, This has been, in my memory, the most crazy March Madness tournament ever, and I've watched a lot of college basketball. I think that this really is a testament to how thin the talent gap has become now with the transfer portal and, and just with the general skill increase in college basketball. You see these teams that in the past had not were not able to make waves in the tournament now making waves more consistently this is the second year in a row where we've seen a 15 or 16 seed win a game and as a matter of fact both the 15 and a 16 won a game this year and so I, I think that obviously it, it's on any night any team can win but I think that you're seeing now that the teams that are not in the high major conferences and the power five power six and NCAA, basketball are still able to pick off teams in those power five conferences. And this four, five, five, nine final four is a perfect example of that. So my teams here are SDSU and UConn to advance. I think UConn wins the whole thing. Of course it's chalky, but SDSU's defense has given fits to every team that it's played. They stymied Alabama. They were able to hold off Creighton and they've just consistently performed. FAU has not seen a defense like this ever. And SDSU, I think, will give them fits as well. And then UConn has just quietly dismantled systematically every single team that it has played in this tournament. I mean, they haven't even played a close game, Dad. They're just destroying every single team that they play. They beat Iona in the first round by 16 points. St. Mary's in the second round by 15 points. Arkansas in the third round by 23. And then Gonzaga in the last round by 28 in the Elite Eight. And, and their margin of victory just keeps going up. And so I'm a little worried for Miami and whoever plays them in the finals because it might be a 30 or 40 point game. It's a, it very well may be. I, I, I think I'm going with SDSU and UConn. I think UConn has a very, very good chance of winning this whole thing, which would be unbelievable because I, I just think that they, they've, they haven't come out of nowhere that if you watched any UConn basketball as I have, they played very, very well down the stretch of the regular season. They've peaked at the right time and they have a very good coach. And I think you've seen that throughout this tournament is that coaches that you've never heard of or have heard very little about are coaching very, very well and getting the most out of their teams. And that's very, very important. So you're going to see a lot of coaches maybe on the move because their teams did so well. There's a lot of coaches that 
you haven't heard of that you're going to hear a lot more of because they're teams that play Florida Atlantic, for example. Have you ever heard of that coach? You know, you're going to you're going to hear a lot more about this coach, Florida Atlantic, who had never won a tournament game. All of a sudden they're in a final four. So there's going to be coaches that are in demand. So I think that. Yeah. uh, And and that's that's Dusty May. For those of you keeping track at home, I just think that's a sick name. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The Fairleigh Dickinson coach has already nabbed a new head coaching position. He's going to be the head coach at Iona and Iona's head coach has now moved to St. John's. That's Rick Pitino. And the coaching carousel is in full swing now. And, and we're going to see even more of that as the offseason progresses. But before that, we have the final four of the national championship game coming up. And those should be great to watch. Yes, yes, absolutely. So if if you have anybody still alive in your final four, uh, I, I have one to you. I have one team alive, but I have them losing in the final four, so I'm done. So you know my other brackets are completely finished. So good luck to you, and I think uh, we'll we'll see come Monday, who or I guess come Saturday, who's in the the championship game, and then we'll find out who the championship goes to on Monday. Max, last topic real quick. Lamar Jackson has requested a trade. Apparently, he did that earlier this month. And your thoughts on Lamar feeling like he's been disrespected? I I can't really blame him all that much. He wants a long-term contract extension. And to me, I think he's earned it. He has been one of the best quarterbacks in football. And it's an unconventional quarterback, sure. But Year over year, he has performed. The biggest bugaboo for him has been staying healthy, but he throws well. He runs well. I don't, I mean, there's just not really a huge bone you can pick with Lamar Jackson. And I think that in the long term, when you're trying to build your franchise, you want a quarterback that can elevate your team when they are at their best. They can just elevate your team to another level. And and I think Lamar Jackson is that because he can be dynamic with his arm, with his legs. He has the single season rushing yards record by a quarterback. He has most 1,000 yard rushing seasons by a QB with two. He has most games with a perfect passer rating in the same season with two. He He's a good quarterback. And I don't understand why Baltimore won't just commit to making him their franchise guy by signing him to a, a long-term contract. But I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think that he's out of line for requesting a trade here. I don't think he's out of line. I would prefer he didn't do it on Twitter or social media. Uh, not that the re- tra- trade request was done on social media, but I-, I wish he would keep everything. When Daniel Jones was negotiating, you never heard anything from anybody. You thought that the Giants would keep him. He never claimed his worth. He never put all that out there. He hasn't played as long as Lamar Jackson, but Lamar Jackson is that is that player that you think should get paid. And I, I think that they would pay him, but I think also that I think that he should get paid. I think him asking for a fully guaranteed contract is, is way out of line. I know that Deshaun Watson got one, and he deserves a lot of guaranteed money. And I think that there's common ground here, but the, each side has to be willing to give a little bit. I just find it unique that there's a lot of teams that say, well, we don't want them, and other teams that haven't said they do or don't, teams that could use a quarterback. But I think that 
you know, his health is in question also. He's missed a lot of games over the last two seasons. So you give a guy a guaranteed, you know, fully guaranteed contract, and then he gets hurt, you're kind of screwed. So I, I understand both sides of it. I don't blame him for asking for a trade, but coming out and saying, oh, I'm disrespected, they don't they don't value me, you know, that, that doesn't help anything. I know you represent yourself, but sit down, hear what they have to say, get it done. I get the whole wanting asking for a trade thing but the way he's going about it uh, is not the way i think he should be doing it this has been another episode of podcast by committee with andrew and max brill make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts apple spotify tune in or any other podcast platform we're there and rate and view us on apple while you're at it it'll only take a couple of seconds so head on over there and give us a five-star review if you want to connect with us we're on instagram at podcast underscore by underscore committee and Twitter at Pod by Committee, or you can reach out to us via email, hosts at podcastbycommittee.com. Thanks again for listening to Podcast by Committee. Thanks again to Mason Pettit for the introduction, Kevin McLeod for the music. Shout out to Pre Kliegerman for our graphics. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Until then, stay safe.